and welcome to this week's edition of our podcast, Crikey Calling. My name is Cathy Alexander. I'm the Deputy Editor of Crikey. And with me via Skype, I have Bernard Keane, our Canberra correspondent. Hello there, Cathy. <laughs> How are you, Bernard? I'm good. And hello to listeners. Well, sorry, our listener. Hello. <laughs> we we appreciate your patronage. Being very polite today, which which is lovely, Bernard. Now the end is in sight. Only one week to go till the federal election. It's been a funny week in some ways, um, Bernard. I feel like is this, is it harsh to say we've had a few interesting and memorable thought bubbles from Kevin Rudd when it comes to policy? Oh, it's been shocking. I mean, first we had the um, first we had um, well Northern Australia last week. That was a, a great moment in policy. Uh, then we had the Garden Island. Uh, debacle, which was you know, this idea of moving one of Australia's most important naval base uh, up north. Um, there, there it is. There's the north again, looming large in the, in the vision of Kevin Rudd. Um, Kevin Rudd hadn't actually bothered to discuss this with Barry O'Farrell or, or, or anyone else for that matter, but it was, it was, this was a, a commitment off in the never-never, um, certainly well beyond Ford estimates. Um, and, uh, and then there was high-speed rail, which, uh, as 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 the listener will know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of. I'm a big fan of high speed rail. Um, you just and, don't. Uh, you, you're stuck in your ways, Bernard. It's the way of the future. High speed rail. On the contrary, high speed rail is outdated 19th century technology. <laughs> Wheel on rail, forget about it. That's 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 for the Victorian era. What it's do you think? Mag- maglev. Yeah, yeah, like maglev. Japan. Um, yeah, maglev. I think we it doesn't to... actually work and can't can't actually be viable, but nonetheless, maglev, it's futuristic. I'm actually banning us from speaking about high speed high speed rail because we will talk about that for an hour, and our listener might not like it, Bernard. So back to no. Kevin Rudd's thought bubbles. So, and, and, then, and then there was um, and then there was the debate on Wednesday night where uh, he turned he, he he revealed the the hitherto unrevealed uh, the hitherto very well hidden, in fact, fact that Kevin Rudd is a economic nationalist who doesn't like foreign investment now. That was a bit of a low point, really, in 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 Kevin Rudd's campaign to kind of to so openly court the the economic xenophobes uh, was uh, was a particularly sort of disappointing moment um, for a um, a party that has during its period in government, its six years in government under both Julia Gillard and Kevin Rudd, has been um, has been welcoming of, of foreign investment and has seen a a, a massive, you know, has seen a, a record, so easily massive historical record level of foreign investment in Australia, courtesy of the mining boom. And here was Kevin Rudd sort of turning around and, and casting aspersions on on um, on foreign investment. Very, very disappointing look. So, mm. you know, look, a I can tell you, Bernard, I mean, I was listening. For those who weren't listening to the debate, and there might be a few of, our, of you out there, it was a little dry. A questioner was very passionately concerned about uh, foreign foreigners buying up Australian land. Now, Tony Abbott, to his credit, said, look, foreign investment is a good thing for these reasons, and we're not going to do a great, meal, great deal more to... Um, to uh, reduce the level of foreign investment. Kevin Rudd revealed suddenly this anxiety about foreign investment and seemed to be speaking off the cuff. Now, I was listening and I was really surprised by what he said and I thought, if I'm surprised, imagine what Joe Ludwig's thinking about now. He's the agriculture minister, isn't he, Bernard? Uh, yes, he still is. Mm. Um, or, or Chris Bowen, for that matter. I mean, mm. um, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a bipartisan consensus in Australia, certainly between the Liberals and, and Labor Party, that... that you know, we, we, you don't try and exploit foreign investment anxieties too much. Now, you know, occasionally both sides have, you know, sailed a bit close to the wind. Uh, a couple of years ago, Joe Hockey was always on his, well, briefly was, was on his high horse about 
about foreign investment in in real estate, which was a you know a bit of an issue before the 2010 election. But by and large, both sides know that foreign investment is a good thing, and both sides know that you know it, it's not a good look if they run around bagging it. The nationals aren't part of that consensus. The nationals are quite happy to to uh, attack foreign investment. They're they're xenophobes, um, but uh, Tony Abbott I think has done a good job of keeping them quiet um, as opposition leader on that particular issue and. Um, you know, for, for example, I'm, I'm, I spent part of last week, um, well, the, the week before this one, with, with Susan Lee down in her electorate in Farrah, and you know, she talks about the foreign investment issue, and it does come up, and, and people say, you know, people express concern in her in the regional communities that, that are in her electorate about, you know, for, level of foreign investment. They don't like Chinese investment, and uh, and... Susan, who is a Susan, is a supporter of foreign investment. She thinks it's a good thing. She knows communities that are crying out for foreign investment. They, they'd love to have Chinese investment or any other kind of investment uh, because they, you know, they, they recognise that it's important to keep their communities economically viable. And she says, you know, it's it's tough to make the argument in the face of you've got someone saying, look, uh, you know, foreign investment's a bad thing. We need to buy back the farm. Australia, Australians should own Australian businesses. It's very hard to argue in the face of that kind of sentimental stuff that that foreign investment's a good thing, but you've got to kind of you know make the effort. And there was there was Tony Abbott making the effort on Wednesday night to kind of make the right noise. Who 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 followed after Abbott very cynically um, exploited the opportunity to kind of say, oh, well, in fact, I don't actually like foreign investment very much. It was pretty. It was pretty shabby stuff, and um, uh, and you know, good for Tony Abbott to, 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 to you know stick to the line rather than um, you know rather than uh, give in to a, a pretty craven populist opportunity. Mm. By the way, Susan Lay, for listeners who might not know, is a Liberal MP, uh, and Bernard spent some days with her and wrote a really interesting piece, which you can find on our website. So, Bernard, if we if we look at what you've just talked about, so Kevin Rudd's ideas on shifting various things north, the naval base high-speed rail, and then this apparent sudden anxiety about foreign investment. Tell us what is going on here. Is this desperation leading to sort of desperate thought bubbles to try and change the conversation? Are these ideas that Kevin Rudd might have had for a while, and it's not fair to expect him to have a fully detailed and costed policy on all these issues? I mean, maybe it's it's fair enough that he might raise suggestions for future change. What do you think is going on here? Oh look, it's look, it's fair enough to, and this is this is an excuse for Kevin Rudd. It's not an excuse for Labor, but to, in, to an extent, it's fair enough to say, look, you know, Kevin Rudd's been in the job five minutes. He's come in at the death uh, in this term and has got to try and lead Labor to victory. Um, and it, it's it's difficult in those circumstances to present a coherent re-election narrative. Now, um, uh, Labor did have a, re- a coherent re-election narrative, which was Julia Gillard's, which was to focus on uh, protecting Australian jobs. Uh, and economic management, uh, focusing on education and focusing on health, uh, and obviously disability care in particular. Now that was a that wasn't the most, you know that wasn't the world's greatest, most compelling re-election narrative, and it wasn't going to save Julia Gillard from a catastrophic defeat. But it was a it was a coherent narrative, and it was one that Labor had actually done the hard yards both in proselytising during its time during its during its term. Uh, and in, uh, you know, making it clear to voters that these are core Labor things. Um, and Julia Gillard had done a pretty reasonable job on that front, 
even if she hadn't done too good a job elsewhere. To, you know, to just to give voters a sense that Labor is the party that did Medicare and Labor is the party that's doing disability care. Labor is the party that invests in education, which was why it was why it was investing, why it was pursuing reform of of um, secondary and, and primary education funding, i.e. the Gonski stuff. And uh, and Labor was focused on jobs for working Australians. Um, now Kevin Rudd's come along, and he could have. He, he initially he tried to kind of use that narrative himself, and that was a fair enough approach. I mean, he talked about the 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 transition, the economic transition that Australia is facing, and the need to manage the economy in that context. It was a slightly different emphasis. It was a Julie bit Gillard, scarier, was wasn't it? It was, a, it was trying to make the economy seem a bit scarier. Yeah, it was. It was saying, look, you know, there are tough times ahead in terms of of you know what happens with China and. You know, we, we need a steady hand on a tiller, and I've been there, done that with the, the financial crisis. So that was a pretty, that was a, you know, a, a reasonable twist of the narrative by by Kevin Rudd. And it's obviously one he'd been working on for a while, because on the very day when he launched his bid uh, to replace Julia Gillard on June 24, um, that, that, that's exactly what he talked about. He talked about, you know, the economic transition, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and... He could have used education. He could have used disability care. And even though Tony Abbott kind of neutered um, though both of those policies, mm. um, education very belatedly, I still think there was a there was a reasonable strategy for Labor to say, look, you know, Labor is the party that actually came up with these things. Labor is the party that believes in its DNA, to use this now fashionable phrase, in more education funding, in disability care. If you want that, then you know, only Labor can really deliver it because only we believe in it. Now, yeah, that's an alternative. That's a kind of that's a that's a that's just a reworking of what the coalition's been saying on a, on a whole bunch of things. But it would have been a reasonable approach. But that didn't last very long. Kevin Rudd, after you know, you know, barely barely two weeks, was suddenly off and running on these other things. He was off and running on Northern Australia. And then it was, mm. you know, then it was Garden Island. Then it was High Speed Rail. I mean, none of those things kind of spring organically from Labor's period in government. They don't spring organically from Labor's values. Mm. Um, you can kind of stitch them together. You can say, look, we're about nation building. We want to build a high-speed rail network. But, um, you know, it just doesn't hang together with any kind of authority. And um, uh, and then, of course, you know, by the time you get to foreign investment, well, you know, it's it's it, the, the, the smell of desperation mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's hanging around the election like cheap cologne. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And that's where... That's where Labor's ended up, I guess. Mm. Well, with one week left to go in the campaign, if Labor hasn't got its, its uh, re-election narrative sorted, it doesn't have much time left. I would have said that the narrative Kevin Rudd is trying to portray is something like the, the world is a difficult place, but we are the only party, you know, that, that is there for the future and that has bright ideas and that can that can modernise Australia and seize opportunities. But what it, what it seems like to me is he just doesn't have much policy that's backing that up. So it doesn't seem much more than than a slogan. How would you sum up what his his narrative is? Uh, I look, I think his narrative is um, I'm trying to be positive. I've got some vision and Tony Abbott's going to slash and burn the budget. Mm-hmm. Um, so be very afraid. And that's, that's a, um, you know, that's not selling uh, particularly well, I don't think. And, um, you know, it's it's it, it look. You know, it comes back to this. Comes back to this basic thing that that that, that I think everyone, or certainly everyone in the press gallery, forgets, which is, um, you know, very few people in Labor, and certainly no one I met, believe that Kevin Rudd was going to win this election. The idea was Kevin Rudd was was going to try and save the furniture. Now, um, 
some of the polls that are out there suggest that, that he's, you know, he may struggle to actually even do that. Mm, mm, um, I'm not mm. quite sure it's going to be that bad, but nonetheless, um, you know, it reflects the fact that um, Rudd has had a very, very limited period to sort of stitch this whole thing together. And he was always going to come from behind. And I think, you know, he's, he's, he's been playing catch-up football right from the outset, to, to use a sporting metaphor. And, um, you know, when you, when, you, when you do that, you kind of, you're not very disciplined. You kind of, you're taking risks. You're, 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 uh, you, you're, you're, making, you're taking gambles that might not come off. Um, and you've got to keep on playing that way. And if it doesn't come off, and nine times out of ten it doesn't come off, then, uh, you know, you're left looking a bit silly, which is, I think, how Kevin Rudd is now mm. currently looking. But on the other hand, what's the alternative? Well, mm. you know, you can't... You, I, if, if the, I, suppose, I suppose that's a, the valid question is, what was the alternative for Rudd? He had to try and do something to shake up his campaign to kind of try and um, catch up with Tony Abbott. Um, and, well, you know, he's tried a few things. They haven't come off, but, you know, in politics, you, you, got, you, you can't die wondering in politics. So it wouldn't have been a good look for Kevin Rudd to go to his political grave, um, uh, uh, you know, quietly and um, and not bothering to try and try a few things at the death. So I guess I'm being, I guess I'm being pretty contradictory there and saying on the one hand it looks desperate, on the other hand, you know, maybe... It was, you're sort, of choice, saying, but, you're sort uh, of saying it was worth a shot. <laughs> it was, yeah, look, it was desperate, but, you know, it was... I, you know, what what else are you going to do? You've got to you've got to Kevin has got to keep on fighting right till the end. Where do you think we would be now um, if there hadn't been a change of leader? So if Julia Gillard was still prime minister and we were, you know, into the last week of the election campaign, do you think, you know, on the balance of probabilities, that Labor is still faring better under Rudd than they would have under Gillard? And and you have to look at what happened to those polls when Rudd took over and there was a very big jump for Labor. Or do you think, in fact? That we got a, you know, Labor got a bit of a honeymoon from Rudd. That has well and truly ended. Labor seems to be relying on Rudd's personality to win the election. That really doesn't seem to be working. You know, maybe they shouldn't have changed at all. Maybe they're no better off. What do you think? No, I look. Rudd added three or four percent to Labor's vote, and that came straight from the Liberals. And uh, um, you know, he may he, he's, he's, he may not deliver victory, but he's going to get. He's got their vote up to thirty-eight percent, I think. Mm. Uh, news poll had it at 37% early this week. Essential had it at 38%. Mm. Um, and look, Julia Gillard was was 33, 34, sometimes 35%. Mm. So he has put, uh, you know, he's put he's put that amount of of uh, that percentage of votes onto their, their primary vote, and that's, you know, that means that there'll be a lot of MPs who hang on to their seats that otherwise mm. would have lost them. So, you know, the idea that well, you know. Like, in the end, there's not going to be much difference. I really don't think uh, is is going to is is going to pan out. I think Labor would have would have suffered a pretty huge defeat and lost control. We would have seen Tony Abbott take control of the Senate with some of those numbers. Mm. You know, particularly in in we like in Western Australia, for example. Even though the numbers are kind of jumping around a bit because the sample sizes are small, it's hard to tell. But there was a swing to the coalition uh, under Julia Gillard. Now, WA is already terrible for Labor and yet the coalition was going to go further ahead and that would have probably delivered four um, four conservative uh, senators from WA. Mm. Now what's happened under Kevin Rudd is that there's likely to be a small swing to Labor uh, over there. In, which in WA, yeah. In WA, which, mm. which, which, which I think means that there'll be there'll be a 3-3 three, three conservative progressive split on the, on the Senate. So, you know, j- just, just things like that just reflect the extent to which Labor's fortunes did change when they change leader and 
everyone's focused on the fact that Kevin Rudd's probably not going to win the election. Well, mm. you know, as I said time and time again, um, I'm not sure there were too many people who did think that uh, that he was mm. going to pull this one out of the fire. Nonetheless, you know, his 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 performance has really lifted Labor. Mm. Well. Going into the the last week of this campaign, Bernard, do you think we can expect much to change? Are we like to likely to see significant announcements, whether you know costs, whether um, you know whether they're spending money, whether they're saving money, or do you think we've heard almost all of their big, um, you know, vote winners? Oh, look, I'm sure sure Labor's trying to craft something to some big announcement for Sunday's launch to really give them a bit of momentum. They need a bit of momentum to go into their into the final week, either. You know, to try and really, to, to if if there's a swing to the coalition happening uh, or has been happening over uh, the last week plus, and uh, just talking to the essential guys uh, yesterday, they think there is a there is a swing um, to the coalition, which is probably going to see even even essentials poll, which has been the most sort of positive one for Labor, mm. swing to the coalition next mm. week. Mm. Um, they, they've got to try and work on something to kind of slow down that momentum because otherwise they do they do face a bit of a blowout. And, of course, there's the coalition's costings, which uh, we'll probably see at 11.59 on Friday night next <laughs> week, but um, um, which will finally give us an indication of how their numbers add up. I'm, I've got to say I'm a bit of a costing sceptic. I don't really think it's particularly matters a great deal whether their numbers do add up. It reflects a bit on – it's more about temperament and more about kind of political personality. I think – I you know, I, I, I don't like the way Joe Hockey and the coalition have uh, – and Andrew Robb and the coalition have just treated the whole process of, of, of uh, you know, what's encapsulated in, in the Charter of Budget Honesty with such contempt. Um, but obviously, they just don't think it matters. And uh, and they've had all these stunts. They had this, you know, in 2010, they had a stunt of the of the of the audit firm that, that later got into trouble for signing off on the on the promises. This time around, they got this ridiculous panel of three people to, you know, vet the uh, vet the costings, and you know, they're all handpicked coalition mates. Um, you know, I, I, these stunts are you know annoying. Why don't they just go to the Why don't they just get the parliamentary budget office to cost their policies and then release the policies, and then we can. You know, we, we can we can be sure that they've been independently vetted, but no, no, they don't want to do that. They want well, to presumably, sort of, Bernard, that's because they they're not quite confident in the numbers that might come out the other end. I mean, you'd have to assume that, wouldn't you? Well, you, that, that's the, the that's the logical conclusion. They, mm. they dispute that and say, no, 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 no. You know, we, our, everything adds up, and Labor's lying and all that sort of thing. And you know, we play this sort of game. It's mm. you know, it's it's annoying from that point of view. There's just this basic dishonesty and inconsistency and hypocrisy mm. from the coalition on that. But I really don't think it matters a great deal. I, you know, we, it's pretty clear what their fiscal policy is going to be. Whether they're ten billion dollars out in their costings, look, you know, to be honest, I don't think it matters a great deal. Ten billion bucks in the Commonwealth budget of you know well over three hundred and you know three hundred fifty million dollars mm. mm. plus in terms of spending. You know, it's a drop in the ocean. It doesn't matter really. Um, but it's the sort of thing that, in, that you know the media and the press gallery can kind of fixate on because you know it's a, you know it's a I guess it's an understandable issue. Whereas the broader issue, as Glendora and I have been talking about incessantly, is how loose or tight are there? You know, is is the fiscal policy of the government, whichever stripe it is, going to be after after September seven? And of course, because, the indications uh, now is that there'd be a certain similarity, in fact, between the way that the coalition, if they win the the election, will run the economy. Be, you know, not not that different be, to Labor's. Absolutely, they'd be exactly like Labor. And if anything, if if anything, just taking them on their word, that um, they may well possibly be a bit looser in terms of fiscal policy than Labor, which is an extraordinary outcome for Labor. Like, we've been hearing for the last five years nothing mm. but 
debt and deficits and labour waste, mm. et cetera, et cetera. And now the coalition comes in and says, well, you know, we're just going to keep on doing what the other mob are doing. Well, mm-hmm. again, that's, you know, that's that's standard political hypocrisy, but it's good economics. It's it's exactly what they should be doing. It's the right call to make. And if that if if that's emblematic of look, Joe Joe Hockey and, and Tony and Andrew could get into office and whether don't know whether Rob's going to be the finance minister, but they could get in, they could slash and burn, they could break all the commitments, whatever. But just taking them on their word, um, then you know it's heartening to know that they are taking that approach to the economy. They're not being ideologues; they're being pragmatic. And if Joe Hockey is going to be a pragmatic treasurer who says, okay, well, I'm going to look to the needs of the economy first rather than trying to balance the books. Mm. That's good for the economy. And the, and the, and the, the, the commentary, you know, the, the, you know, the, the right wing commentators in the Australian and, and the Australian financial review can, can rant and rave, but it's good for the economy and, um, and, and sound policy. Mm. It's interesting, Bernard, if we look back on the last term, uh, and I don't know whether you'll agree with my characterisation of this, but it seems like the coalition did very well in inflicting really serious political damage on Labor over issues which in the end have either petered out or the coalition has reversed its position, but the damage for Labor has survived. And I'll give you two examples. One is on really ramming at home on debt and deficit. We will get into surplus faster. We will get into surplus faster. I think they've done pretty well in getting that message across. But if you listen to them right now, they're not even guaranteeing to go back into surplus the same time as Labor is. They're saying, we just we don't know when we can do it, basically. So they've abandoned that, but they made such hay out of it. The other one is, of course, the carbon tax. They made a lot of political capital criticising the carbon tax. Now, if you look at the numbers, it's still a pretty unpopular um, policy. But I'd also perhaps say, I don't know that it's the issue that's really front of mind for a lot of voters. And yet the bad smell that affixed to Labor through the carbon tax and through the, the way the coalition approached the issue, I'd argue has kind of lingered for Labor. I mean, do you agree with me on that, that they've, they've been very pragmatic in picking up issues and then kind of letting them peter out? Oh, there's no doubt the carbon price has uh, really disappeared off the agenda um, in terms of its political impact. You could probably probably mention another example would might be water and the Murray-Darling Basin Plan. That's an issue that that invoked a lot of hostility and anger, particularly out in the community. And the the coalition did uh, look to exploit that for a while. That that's an issue too, where a bipartisan consensus has been reached, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and and it's lost its uh, it's lost its potency. Uh, look, look, I, I agree. Look, Tony Abbott's been very effective at, at damaging Labor um, using the weapons that came to hand, Mm-mm. you know, quite in contrast to his final position, which is very, very close to Labor. And it's fascinating now to read, for example, uh, The Economist's editorial today um, uh, backing Kevin Rudd because, you know, basically because they don't like Tony Abbott and Tony Abbott's you know, the, the kind of ideology that Tony Abbott represents. What ideology was, does Tony Abbott represent? Well, you know, it's not very different from Labor's um, in terms of, you know, uh, seeing, a, seeing a, a, an interventionist role for the state. You know, he's got the, the front, you know, obviously the paid parental leave is the best example of that. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, very, very different from what, you know, particularly in a, you know, an economically dry outlet like The Economist would expect from a right of centre party. And uh, I think Guy Rundle's talked about this very, very well in his pieces uh, on the election, uh, just in terms of, of what Tony Abbott really represents. What he represents is not a particularly liberal vision mm. of, um, of Australia. It's a vision that, um, that uh, has as much in common with, uh, with Labor at the moment as it mm. does with, certainly with the... Uh, you know, with the government of John Howard. 
Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure this government is econ- – sorry, I'm not sure the coalition is economically dry. Uh, the coalition, as presented by Joe Hockey, Joe Hockey a couple of years ago, was reasonably economically dry. But if you look at their policies now, I'm not, not sure they are. And they seem quite socially prolific in what they would spend in some areas. Oh, oh look, I, I think Joe Hockey and Andrew Robb and you know, Malcolm Turnbull and you know, people like Arthur Sinodinus and uh, – and, you know, Various other people are are economically dry. I think they are uh, they'll be the kind of torchbearers of economic rationalism within an Abbott government. But um, Tony Abbott himself is anything but. I mean, Tony Abbott probably defies labels because he's not very interested in economics, mm. uh, despite having an economics background. He's just not interested in it, and um, and that's going to be the difference. I think uh, 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 we come back to this characterization of, a, of an Abbott government by Saul Eslake as being a repeat of the, of the, of the Fraser government, uh, uh, led by a man who has no interest in economics, whilst, uh, whilst uh, economic drives kind of sit in frustration at the cabinet table, mm. um, hoping to kind of get a chance to, to pursue their agenda. I think that's, mm. that's uh, as far as I can see, that's, the, you know, that's, the, that's the, the most plausible looking prediction at the moment for what an Abbott government is going to look like. I guess we'll see mm. uh, if they win on, on September 7. Well, I wanted to ask you about that, um, Bernard. Do you think there's any chance that Labor can pull the rabbit out of the hat in the coming week and actually walk away with a win or with a hung parliament? Or do you think this campaign is essentially over insofar as the coalition will win the lower house? I think this. I think it's been slipping away from Labor this week, um, uh, and whatever chances they might have had, I, I think are, are fast kind of uh, disappearing. I mean, Kevin Rudd just hasn't just hasn't. Uh, Kevin Rudd needed a kind of a second wind. He needed a he needed some sort of turbo boost. And at the you know this week it's just been, you know, he's been out on the road with his thumb stuck out trying to hitch a lift. Um, it just hasn't, um, you know, it, it just hasn't sort of given Labor the push that that that. That it, that's campaign needed, and you know, I think we're going to see this. You know, I think that we'll definitely see this in the poll from Essential on Monday. We're going to see a, a um, you know, a, a swing to the coalition, and um, you know, that'll be enough to, that'll be enough to, uh, to see Labor off. And I mean, it's a, uh, we we've got we've got we've got three polls next week from Essential. We've got one on Monday, uh, which will give us a two-week rolling average. We'll do some more state-based breakdowns uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. That those numbers will be from the election campaign, so all the first four weeks of the election campaign, that'll give us an indication of how the states are going to split. And then we'll have one more poll uh, on Thursday or Friday, which will be, you know, our our essentials pre-election poll. So mm-hmm. um, we're probably overdosing a bit on the polls, but we'll have a pretty clear indication of, of how the coalition has shifted its vote uh, in the last couple of weeks, because I think it has been shifting to the to, to them and um, and that's going to be where it ends up for Labor. I think that's you know, that's why I say Labor needs a big push from Kevin Rudd at his launch um, to uh, to uh, you know stop that momentum and uh, if they're really lucky reverse it. But uh, geez, there's only a, there's only eight days to go, and that's. You and know, this is, of yeah, course, if for listeners who don't know about this, this is the official Labor uh, campaign launch, which is on Sunday in Brisbane. Is that right, Bernard? That's right. Yeah. Mm. So. Um, uh, and look, the, you know, we're getting to the stage where the only people who haven't made up their minds are the people who really don't care about politics and don't pay any attention to it. So, mm. um, you know, in terms of reaching people, I think, you know, where we're, you can start putting the banners away and wrapping up the bunting because uh, the, 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 the remaining, I don't know, 5%, 8% of people who haven't made up their minds, they're probably not watching 
you know, they're not going to be watching the Labor the Labor launch. They're not going to be watching uh, to see what the coalition's costings are next week. They're um, you know, they got better things to do with their time. Yeah, they won't be watching the launch. But the good news is Bernard Keane from Crikey will be at that launch. So we look forward to you filing from there, Bernard. Well, that's all we've got time for um, this week. Election night, Crikey will be live blogging as the results come in. So be sure to jump on our website, and then we'll have a special edition of Crikey coming out on the Sunday. Um, for subscribers, so be sure to tune in. Thanks a lot for that, Bernard. My pleasure, as always. And we'll have what might be our final podcast under a Labor government for a little while next week. <laughs>